Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Well, guys, for the last number of weeks, we've been talking uh, about the mission of Open Door Church. On our, in our kind of Sunday morning gatherings, we've been discussing the importance of actually being unified in mission and what does that look like and what does that mean. We looked at the early church, particularly in the book of Acts, there was this language that was consistently being used as they were found in one accord. Uh, and we talked about one accord, meaning more than just that they were together, more than that they were just kind of in agreement, but it talked about being unified in heart, mind, and spirit. They were operating with the same mind. They were operating with the same heart. They had the same driving motivation, and they were seeking to accomplish the same thing. We talked about the importance of being united in mission, looking at the early church as an example. And, uh, uh, and the reason for this messaging, the reason why we are walking through this, the reason why we're talking about mission and we're talking about the mission of God and the mission of the church and why we're implementing it now is that I so desire for us as a congregation, for us as Open Door Church to be on the same page of why we exist and what we're collectively moving towards. I keep mentioning this, but I, I think it's important, and I'm going to probably keep mentioning this uh, throughout this series, is that unity is more than just existing without hostility. And I think a lot of the times we have this definition of unity as just being that there isn't disagreement, that there isn't uh, some kind of uh, like tumultuous event happening. Unity moves past that. It moves beyond that. And uh, it goes beyond just not getting along or getting along. Uh, to be in one accord, to practice unity as a church body, necessitates us being unified in the mission of God. This Maseo day that we've been talking about. Uh, and the way that I've defined that and the way that I'm going to keep coming back to it is uh, the Maseo day, the, the mission of God is referring to God's intentional actions in redeeming mankind. And so as we talk about the mission of the church, as we talk about the mission of Open Door Church, we're actually talking about the mission of God, and we're not viewing it as some kind of just mission statement that we print on business cards. It's not just a catchphrase that we're trying to like, uh, promote our brand. It moves past that into what I have described as the heartbeat of the Father in reclaiming his children and bringing them home into a family. And it's important for us to not try to commercialize this or, or try to, to make it snappy and brandy just because that's the kind of the, the thing that people do with their mission statements. We're talking about the very mission of the God of all the universe that he has given to us and has entrusted us as his people to carry out. And so... I keep repeating this definition. I keep sharing this language. I keep putting it into the introduction of my sermons because I don't want you to confuse the mission of our church with the mission of God. If we're doing it correctly, they're going to be identical. Does that make sense? I, I, I want us as Open Door Church to be doing exactly what the Father wants us to do. And I think it's easy for us to get caught up in different uh, different trains of thought. There's different ideologies out there. There's all kinds of different denominations and churches that disagree on different things and they go different directions. But at the very core of what we believe as a congregation, as a church, and where we're going is that we want to be doing what Jesus did. And we, we take our motivation from that um, out of what Jesus spoke in the Gospel of John. John 20, verse 21, has been kind of a, a core passage of Scripture for me for a number of years now. When I first taught on the mission of God uh, eight years ago now, this was one of those passages that stirred up for me. And it's when Jesus is getting ready to send out his disciples. And he says this, Jesus says to them again, this is John 20, 21, 
peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And then it says that he breathes on them and instructs them to receive the Holy Spirit. And uh, it's really this powerful imagery. But I want us to understand this as disciples, as followers of Jesus. We are being thrust forth. We are being sent. We are being commissioned in the same way that Jesus Christ was sent to the earth. And I I realize you might have all kinds of theological questions about what that entails and what that means. But I need you to understand this. The mission of Jesus on the earth was to seek and save the lost. That's what we saw last week. It was to preach the kingdom of heaven and promise it as something that was within reach. It was something that was at hand. And us as a church need to be marked. If, If we're known for anything, I want us as a congregation to be known as a church that is about the kingdom of God, is about seeking and saving the lost and doing the things that Jesus did. I want that to be who we are as our spiritual DNA. I want us to be a Jesus church, if that makes any kind of sense. And so we've broken down our mission uh, into three different words that uh, we believe really kind of collectively uh, embrace this Maseo Day, this mission of God. And uh, we talked about the mission of our church being to awaken, to equip, and to send. And last week, I preached on awakening. I I preached on that first word of what it means to awaken and how does that fit into the mission of God. And you can listen to detail. uh, You can listen in detail to that message. We do have a podcast that Adam works uh, pretty pretty intently on keeping updated. So if you have questions about this, this is a series that kind of builds upon each other. Um, But I would encourage you to go back and listen to last week's message uh, when we're talking about what it means to awaken. But to give you a quick uh, definition that I broke down last week, uh, I wrote this, is that our call to awaken is twofold. First, it is to awaken pre-believers to the abundant life available in Jesus Christ. And secondly, it is to awaken believers from the slumber of spiritual complacency to live with urgency, passion, and holiness in the midst of a compromising culture. And so very plainly, very simply, we as a church want to be that catalyst that would uh, introduce people to Jesus or those that have already known Jesus but have just kind of grown cold towards him, we want to be the catalyst there that exists to provoke them to live like Jesus is actually worth living for. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about awakening. We want to be used by God in that sense. But um, as we move past that, and we understand the need for awakening. We, make, we understand the need to awaken others. We might even understand the biblical mandate for it. Just because we know something needs to be done doesn't mean we know how to do it. Right? <laughs> that could be like the, the motto of my life. There are plenty of things that I know need to be done, but I just don't know how to do it. And so... Either you figure out how to do it or you ignore it. I remember when I was younger, I would have uh, um, the check engine light come on in my car. Anybody else like this? And I would just try to pray it away or eventually the light would burn out or the car would blow up. Uh, Mainly because I didn't know what to do with it. Uh, I didn't know how to fix it, didn't know what I was supposed to do there. And so I just kind of ignored it. And I want to be clear this morning, we do not have the privilege or the luxury of just ignoring the fact that we know things need to happen and things need to be done and sit by the sidelines. There's too much at stake. We're not talking about my 1992 Honda Civic that might throw a rod in the engine. We're talking about people's souls. We're talking about uh, people's eternity. And it's important for us to understand the stakes. But Maybe you've been like me and you've been tasked with something and you might have quickly realized you have no idea what you're doing, right? Uh, I've been trying to finish this project downstairs and we were doing the plumbing for the new bathrooms and for the shower and for the vanities and whatnot. And um, the way that our church has been plumbed was by volunteers 
that were probably similar to me that maybe didn't know exactly what they were doing. And it's functional, it's not pretty, but it doesn't make a lot of sense, if that makes sense. <laughs> anyway, um, well, it came to the part where I needed to put in the plumbing fixtures and getting ready to install vanities and toilets and those things. And we, we put in these stub outs from PEX uh, to, to do all the plumbing. And when it t came time to you know, put on the right fittings, I was thinking, you know what? I actually don't know how to do this. And YouTube can take you so far, but it can't get you all the way home sometimes. And so I called my buddy Darby and just asked him, man, can you give me like a crash course over the phone on what I'm supposed to be doing here? Because I'm scratching my head, I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, if I start cutting these things, I'm going to get into trouble. And he gave me a pretty simple explanation, turned out to not be that complicated, took me about 15 minutes of asking questions, and I realized, one, I didn't have the knowledge that I needed to do what I was supposed to do, and secondly, I didn't have the right tools to even attempt the job. And so I had to go get the right tools, which my friend had, and he gave them to me, and he kind of showed me how to use them and walked it through, and it turned out to not be that complicated of a process. And we have toilets, and we have a shower, and we have things that are working downstairs, and uh, praise God. <laughs> But it comes to the place where it doesn't just come natural to everybody. You don't wake up one morning knowing how to, um, you know, solder a new fitting and use the flux and, and figure out how to plumb a toilet in, right? That doesn't just happen unless maybe you're really good with YouTube, which evidently I'm not. Um, it required somebody being patient with me, of sharing their knowledge with me, of equipping me with the right tools to get the job done. And I think the same thing is to be said of our walk with the Lord, with us figuring out what it means to be a follower and disciple of Jesus. I think sometimes we think, oh, it's spiritually, it's just going to click and it's going to make sense. And we said, you said yes to Jesus. You said the prayer. You checked the box. You're going to figure it out. But the reality of it is we are called to walk, aside, walk alongside people. We have this instruction from the Lord to actually make disciples, to equip people for the task that is before them, and not just kind of expect people to figure it out. There is this process that takes place. You guys would turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. We've uh, been in this passage uh, a number of times already throughout this series, but in verse 11, it says, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Guys, this is the same passage that we looked at just a few weeks ago when we were talking about unity and talking about spiritual maturity. And uh, I think this is like Ephesians chapter four, just these few verses here are such like a treasure trove of knowledge and wisdom and insight. We could hang out here for a while. But when we're looking particularly at these verses in, um, in the context of equipping and what that means for us as a church in regards to mission, I think there are a few things to highlight. The New King James Version uses the word ministry in verse 12, where it says to equip his people for works of service, to equip his people for ministry. And uh, I need you to understand these are the same thing. And I think a lot of the times when we talk about ministry, we think of like a full-time vocational call of ministry of somebody that's a pastor. Maybe they've got a collar on. Maybe they've got a funny hat and they sit behind a desk. And, you know, that's what we think of as ministry. But scripture defines ministry differently than that. Scripture defines ministry as works of service, of actually doing things for the Lord. And so, yes, ministry in terms of what I do on a weekly basis and preparing and sharing the word of God, yes, that is an aspect of it. But what we see here is that the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, they're actually given as gifts from Jesus to the body of the church for the church to actually do ministry, for the church to do works of service. And so I, I need you to, to maybe reconstruct some ideas that you've had in the past and, and get this, is that you 
as a follower of Jesus, are called to full-time ministry. You are called to works of service. And the role of those that are clergy, if you will, for lack of a better term, are called to come alongside you to equip you to do the things that God is asking you to do. Our roles as pastors and as teachers is to make sure that you have the knowledge, that you have the tools at your disposal to do what God is placing in your heart and asking you through his word to do. Our jobs as ministers in this capacity, as, a, as apostles, as prophets, as evangelists, is to make sure that you are equipped to do the work of the Lord. It's not for you to come and sit down and say, you know what, I did my Christian duty this week and I filled out, I filled out so many hours in prayer and I sat through so many different sermons and I put so much in the offering so that the pastor can go do ministry. That's not what this is about, friends. That's why it blessed my heart so much just a few minutes ago when we were praying for one another and I'm sitting here, I'm like, who do I pray for? Where do I go for? I'm just gonna pray for everybody up here. But to see the whole church collectively come around one another and lift one another up in the place of prayer is something that is genuinely encouraging to me. And so when we're using this word equipping and I've already used this word a few times. There's another word that is a, a familiar one, probably to you, that can help in our understanding with what we're talking about, and that word is discipleship. And so when I say we want to be a church that equips people to follow Jesus, that we want to be a church that equips people for ministry, that we want to be a church that equips people to do works of service so that the, the church of Christ might be built up and that we would eventually reach a place of spiritual maturity, we're really talking about discipleship. And our mission, as it relates to this term equip, is this. And I wrote this down, and guys, I'm sharing these formal definitions because for me it helps when I put like very intentional language behind something, and this is something that I felt like you know, this, this requires some fleshed out thought. But our, our, uh, our mission as it relates to this word equip is to see intentional discipleship transpire by way of supernatural empowerment and consistent practical application. I think there's been this unhealthy maybe thought process when it comes to some of these words that we use, Christianese, if you will, when we're talking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. I think, uh, I think many of you have probably heard me make jokes about the Christian plus package. You know, I, I reference that often in my sermons and in Deeper Project. We talk about their, their uh, you know, for the low price of $9.99, you can subscribe to the Christian plus package that gets you extra benefits. <laughs> And, uh, you know, that's a joke. That's not something that exists, or at least it shouldn't be. I'm sure there's some televangelist out there that has a market on it already. You know, you got Walmart Plus, you got Disney Plus, you got Paramount Plus, you got all the different pluses out there. It's only a matter of time that till somebody markets Christian Plus as some kind of subscription-based service where you get, you know, people harassing you via a text in church or something like that. I don't know. But with that being in mind, I need you to understand there isn't a tiered level when it comes to followers of Jesus. Either you follow Jesus or you don't. There isn't like, oh man, that guy's a super follower of Jesus and he's just kind of, eh, he's like a level two follower of Jesus. And I think sometimes with our, with our, our language, we can create these maybe subconscious even definitions of people. And so I think we can place people into these cultural, cult, cult, what words am I using? Cultural definitions that Jesus never allotted to us, right? We've got new believers or we've got baby Christians or converts and, and we might call them, you know, level one Christians for the sake of this illustration. And then we move on up to we have Jesus followers maybe at level two. And then if we move past that, then we get to those that are really serious. And you know what? Those are the Jesus freaks, right? 
and uh, we might even call them disciples. Like they're, they're really serious about following Jesus. And maybe if we move past that, we'll get to those that are actually called into full-time vocational ministry. And those are going to be your pastors and those, the evangelists and the prophets and the teachers, right? And we kind of have this maybe tiered level of defining where somebody is uh, at with our walk with the Lord. And we, we kind of reserve this terminology of disciple for those that are really serious about their walk with God. You know, they're at church every single week. They, they've got a perfect attendance and they're at every prayer meeting. They're diligently studying their Bible. And you know, like, man, they're, they're the real deal. But whereas Joey over here who just started following Jesus and maybe is trying to figure things out, but, you know, he's just a level one Christian, uh, you know, we might not call him a disciple. Does that make sense? Like, I, I'm talking about... This is not okay. <laughs> this isn't what we're supposed to be doing, but I think sometimes culturally we kind of place people into these categories. And this is a terrible way to think about disciples. They're not super Christians. Like if you're a disciple of Jesus, it simply means you're a follower of Jesus. The fact of the matter is you're either a disciple of Jesus or you are not. You don't get to fall into some other different side category where you're just still trying to figure it out. Either we are followers of his, disciples of his, or we are not. And a disciple is one, is one this is the definition I put to disciple, and I'm going to back this up with scripture. A disciple is one who follows Jesus and does what he did. That, and you might, okay, well, Jesus did some pretty crazy things, yeah. <laughs> and scripture gives us some pretty keen insights onto, uh, onto that definition. The Great Commission, something we're familiar with, we've probably heard about before, it's Jesus' command for us to go and make disciples. It's just that. He commands us to make disciples, not just converts. I want to be clear, conversion is the place where it starts, <laughs> but discipleship is the place where it's finished and it's fleshed out and it's walked through. We're not interested in just making an organization. We're not interested in just kind of filling a room with people that can check a box and say, you know what, I believe this or I believe that and I want to just be associated with this Jesus guy. We're interested in making disciples. Matthew 28, 18. Jesus gives this command. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, discipleship and what Jesus commands us to do here is not just about baptizing somebody. It's not just about getting somebody to say, oh yes, Jesus is cool. It's about making disciples. And that begins with, yes, recognizing Jesus as the Son of God. Yes, it's followed through with seeing them baptized, but it goes into the place where we teach and we pass on what we've learned from the Lord, that we would teach them to obey the things that Jesus expects from us. You see, it's far easier to gain some kind of metric for conversion than it is for discipleship. Right? We can say, well, how many people were baptized? Well, then we could say, well, okay, well, then that, that's a good indicator of how many people made a decision to say yes to Jesus. But it's an entirely different thing to gauge discipleship, right? There's not a, a really easy metric to measure there because it isn't something that's tangible. And if there's something that you could take home from this sermon this morning, I think it is this, is that discipleship is a journey, not just a destination. You never wind up at a place where you are discipled. <laughs> and you're done, and you get to check it off your list of things to do, right? A genuine disciple of Jesus is going to consistently be growing regardless of how long they've been following Jesus. There is always room for us to grow closer to him, to be more like him, to look more and act more and love more like Jesus, right? 
It's not just a journey. Or it's not just a destination, it's a journey. <laughs> we don't arrive at a place of spiritual maturity where we stop maturing this side of eternity. Does that make sense? As long as there's breath in your lungs, there is room for improvement. So why is this? You know, salvation, I think, sells a little easier than discipleship, right? We present salvation as this free gift, like Jesus wants to save you from your sins, your bad decisions. He wants to save you from the mess that you've made. Sign me up for that right? That's a good thing. I'm not trying to diminish that role in any, in any sense. And we understand that salvation is free. But because it's an easy sell in that sense, all you have to do, you don't, there's nothing you have to do to come to Jesus, right? We say that. We mean that. I don't, I don't want to diminish that fact at all. There's nothing in and of yourself that you can do to come to God on better terms. He chases us down. He gives us a free gift. He invites us into new life with him. And it's something that we celebrate. But so many of us stop there, right? We treat salvation as kind of the culmination point and the pinnacle. But really salvation is the entry point into life with God where there is actually expectation of change. And I think that's why we have so many people who are comfortable with the idea of, you know, being a Christian without actually living any differently after encountering Jesus. You see, the gift of salvation is something we could never earn, but true biblical discipleship will cost you everything. Salvation is free, and it is 100% a gift. But to be a disciple of Jesus, which is what we're called to, will cost you you everything. It will cost you your friends, your reputations. It will cost you your money in some extent. <laughs> you know, it'll cost you your entire life. In fact, those are the things that Jesus promises when he says, if you want to be my disciple, right? Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. These are straight from the words of Jesus. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. He doesn't say it as a suggestion. He doesn't kind of present it as a good idea. He says, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross and follow me. Luke 14, 26 through 33 says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. That can be confusing to some people. Jesus is talking about if your hate, if, uh, if, uh, if your love for me doesn't make your love for everything else look like hatred in comparison, you cannot be my disciple. But he goes on and he says, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Whoa. Whoa. Those are, those are the words of Jesus. That's not Pastor Nate up here trying to give you some kind of like manipulating, uh, you know, the scriptures to get you to feel bad about your lives. These are the words of Jesus saying that it will cost you everything to be his disciple. But that's not how we present Christianity in America today, is it? That's not how we get people to sign up to join our church because it doesn't sell. Denying yourself is not sexy, is it? Nobody wants to put that on Instagram, right? Look at me. There's some weird people out there, whatever. But the reality of it is to deny yourself, to do something contrary to what the flesh wants, 
to lose everything for the sake of the kingdom is not easy, it's not fun. By, uh, by cultural definitions, it's hard. We've got plenty of people that are willing to accept Jesus as Savior. But they don't want to view him as a Lord who's worthy to surrender their life to. But he doesn't give us that option. It's either an all-in or an all-out kind of thing. And I think we have made a great travesty in the church when we talk about Jesus just interested in saving people's souls. Especially if you read the book of 1 Corinthians and you look at Paul's uh, kind of teaching there, we see that God came to save people, not just souls. He's interested in the whole person. And I don't have time to go off on this this morning in too much depth, but Jesus isn't just interested in your heart. He's not just interested in your motivations. He wants all of you. He wants every aspect of your life. He wants all of you to be surrendered to him because he's worthy and he paid too high of a price to just have a piece of you, to just give a part of your life to him. He's interested in all of you. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. There's a, this may be one of the most startling passages of Scripture that I read. In verses 21 through 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That's why I think it's so important when we look at the Great Commission that we just read in Matthew chapter 28, where he says uh, to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all of my commands. It's important, friends, because at the end of the day, it is about what we do. It is about have we encountered Jesus in such a way that it has actually transformed our lives. I'm not saying you can earn salvation, but the proof is in the works. The proof is in, is, does your life look differently now as a result of Jesus being savior of your life? Because this, I mean, this here says there are people that are going to confess him as Lord. They're going to be, they're standing before him. They, they were doing good things, right? Most of the time, I think if we saw people performing miracles, driving out demons, doing these things, we'd be like, yep, that dude's definitely like a level six disciple, right? <laughs> but they're, they're doing stuff. They're active. But they lack an intimate relationship with Jesus, I wrote that this verse highlights the differences between those who have knowledge of Jesus as Savior. They might even agree with the theological statements that, that we would have about Jesus being the Son of God and being the Savior of the world, but they lack authentic relationship with him. And my prayer as a church, my prayer for us as a community of believers that no one is reached um, by our congregation, by this group of believers that could ever fall into this category. I want them to know Jesus and for Jesus to know them, for them to actually do the will of the Father, not just be able to say all the right things or know all the answers. I so desire to introduce people to what it's like to actually have relationship with the God of all the universe. It's crazy, if you read in the New King James, and that's how I've memorized this passage of scripture, he says, depart from me, all of you who practice lawlessness. 
right? And he actually begins to say, you know, these good things that you're doing, they're actually evil. They're actually illegal even from my kingdom because you're doing them without relationship with me. And it's an abuse of the name of God. I believe it moves into blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. All of those different things. We don't have time to go into all, all the theological ramifications of that. But I want you to know, we are not interested as a congregation of having people that look right, that maybe even have the right actions and know the right things to say, we are interested in equipping people to know Jesus as he actually is, for who he actually is, for what he wants us to do. It's not about us having a big church. It's not about us having the money in the bank. It's not about us having the great new uh, outreach social program or anything like that. It is about us making disciples. And those disciples are going to be people that know Jesus, that do what he did, that have relationship, that know him, and that he knows them. Amen. So how do we make disciples? How do we actually equip people in this context? Can I give you, I've got Nate's great one-step program to disciple-making. I coined it. It's part of the Christian Plus package. If you unlock it at $14.99 a month, you'll get all the details. How do you make disciples? You make disciples by being a disciple. The first step in making disciples is to make sure that you're faithfully following Jesus. You got to make sure you're being a disciple yourself because you will always naturally reproduce who you are. If you're not closely following Jesus, you cannot expect those that you're leading to do so. And a natural mark of a true disciple of Jesus will be, are they making disciples? <laughs> I realize, man, that can get confusing. That could be like, whoa, what do you actually mean by this? I'm asking, are we are you, put this on you, this isn't on even us collectively as a church, but begin to ask yourself these questions. Are you actually spending time in this book? Are you spending time in the word of God? Is it actually that important to your life? Or would it look any different if it wasn't there? Are you provoking others to be in the word? Are you challenging others with thoughtful questions? With study in this book? Are you spending time in prayer? Do you get alone with God? Does, does he, do you actually have conversations with him? Do you actually ask him what he's feeling and what he's thinking and what he wants from you? And maybe if you're like me, you answer those questions like, yeah, for the most part, but I'm not where I want to be. It's important to check your surroundings. What is taking up your time? What is feeding your spirit? What are the things that you're watching? What are the things that you're listening to? But most importantly, what does community look like for you? Who's investing into your life? What kind of friends are you spending your time with? Are they provoking you to follow Jesus closer? Or are they a hindrance and a distraction? Right? You guys have probably always, you, you may have seen this uh, kind of demonstration before. But like, right, Braden, if you come up here real quick, this will be super simple and super easy. Right? If I come up here, right, it's super easy for you to pull me down off this platform. Right? Yeah, see? Boom. It's really hard because I'm not ripped like Braden is. And he's, I mean, you're tall, dude. 
but like I, I'm not bringing you up here, right? And we talk about, you can sit down. <laughs> not a very well fleshed out uh, idea here, but when I'm talking about who you're surrounding yourself with, what kind of influences you have, you may have the best motivation, you may have the best intention, but it's very, very difficult to bring people up to your level when you're by yourself, right? It's not something that comes naturally or easily, but it's far easier for people to bring you down, is it not? But if I had four or five guys up here, if I got Stephen up here, it would probably be all we need. But uh, <laughs> we'd probably be able to bring Braden up to our level because we're operating together in a unified manner, in a unified vision, in a way to accomplish the things that need to be accomplished. Anyway, you get my point here. I'm asking if, if this is a struggle for you. If you're, not, if you're not following Jesus the way that you want to be following Jesus, look at who's around you. Because if they're not following Jesus closely, they're not going to be the ones that help you follow Jesus closely. That's why I think the church is so important. And I'm not saying that we're perfect and we have it all figured out and this is the, the, the best expression of the church that ever was. But community is vital when it comes to discipleship. You don't become a disciple of Jesus by accident or by yourself. It happens when we do it together and we provoke one another to chase hard after the Lord. I'm thankful for the friends that I have that I can call that send me text messages and they're having deep theological conversations and I might not even respond because they're using words that are bigger than what I know uh, they are. <laughs> I'm talking about Adam and Daniel. If you guys didn't know that, they're always like going deep into all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, man, where do you guys find time in the day to do this? <laughs> like, <laughs> they're, they're awesome, but they provoke me to spend more time with Jesus. They provoke me to spend more time in the word. And I believe, friends, that's a part of equipping. That's a part of discipleship. Something that needs to be evident. And I, I would just encourage you as disciples, as followers of Jesus, don't settle for just kind of a, a distant approach when it comes to following Jesus. But I would want for you to be able to say of yourself in the same way that Paul would say of himself, follow me like I follow Christ. I want to be so close to Jesus that my sons, if they mimicked my every action, if they mimicked my every word, that I could be comfortable and confident in knowing that they are right with God and they are spending time with Jesus. But if I'm being honest, most of the time I think about, man, God, Lord, I want them to be so much better than me. <laughs> I don't want to reproduce myself. I don't want people like me. I'm such a screw-up. I'm such a failure. I'm such a mess. That's where it comes into the help of the Holy Spirit, right? I'm not asking for perfection. I'm not expecting perfection, even though Jesus would say, be perfect as I am perfect. We understand that there is, there is uh, discipleship is a journey, right? And what people are looking for are not for you to have it all figured out. They're not looking for you to have the perfect track record because none of us have that. But I do believe what people value in this day and age and what they have for all eternity is consistency. I think there's something to be said about the person that is consistent, the person that is persistent as well, because they show uh, evidence that they can be trusted. A desire for our church is that we would have, that we would be an environment where we're collectively stirring one another up, where we're provoking each other to be more like Jesus. That there would be that holy provocation that I spoke on a number of weeks, months ago now, I'm guessing. That we would spur one another on to love and good works, to spending time in the word, to spending time in prayer. John 8, 31. Jesus makes this statement. And he's telling this to the Jews that believed in him. He says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. 
Friends, can I tell you, there is a reason why we have deeper projects. There's a reason why we gather together around a meal and we jump into this book deeper than we get to just on a Sunday morning is because if we abide in this word, if we spend time in it, if we rest in it, if we spend our lives in it, we have the promise that we are indeed true, authentic followers and disciples of Jesus. Friends, this is why we have prayer where we gather together every Wednesday night and every Sunday morning and throughout the week where we spend time with one another, lifting one another up in prayer, provoking one another in the place of prayer because it's important to the spiritual life of every disciple of Jesus. This is why we have a life group where we gather together and we're just sharing burdens with one another and we're being transparent and we're being authentic with one another and we do all of these things around food. Because God is good. But we want to be intentional about making disciples. We also want to have practical outlets for it as well. That's where Deeper Project was birthed. It was Daniel and Adam and I sitting around talking about, wouldn't it be cool if we just read the Bible together? Like if we had a Bible study that studied the Bible and if everybody was just reading the Bible more. And we talked about it, and we let it really shape us. And that was almost eight years ago now, right? I, I might be doing math. It might be seven. It was a while back. We've done the whole New Testament multiple times now. We've done a lot of the Old Testament, and it's cool. But I want to encourage you as a follower of Jesus to be a disciple. Don't just... Don't just let it be something that you would check on a census. Don't let it just be something that you would kind of casually approach. To be a disciple of Jesus requires a surrendered life, and it is a real commitment. And I think we do people a disservice when we say, just sign up for Jesus and press the easy button, and everything's going to get easy, and everything's going to get better, when he never invited us to that. He invited us to a life surrendered to him. It is good. I'm not trying to paint this picture that it's just grudging and, and just this, this just drudging. You know what I'm trying to say. Just trying to get through it. That's not what it's like. It's, it's better than anything I could ever describe. It's 100% worth it. And the things that I have seen God do over and over and over and over again blow my mind. But discipleship is a wild journey. It's not just a, it's not just a one in time done thing that we get people to get their Jesus card and, and go on. It's something that we're called as a lifelong commitment to. So my prayer for us today as we think about our call as a church to equip people to follow Jesus is one, and most importantly, to make sure that we're following Jesus as closely as we can. And we all need help in that capacity. That's the cool thing about discipleship, right? I talked about none of us have ever truly arrived. I can love Jesus more than I'm doing right now. I can look more like Jesus than I do right now. I can, I can act more like Jesus than I currently am. And I need the help of the Holy Spirit to do so. It's been a continual theme when we've been talking about our mission, right? When we talked about awakening, we looked at the promise of the Holy Spirit, right? That he would come and enable us to be witnesses, that we would be empowered by the Holy Spirit. If you notice, I snuck into my definition of equipping there and the call to discipleship that we would be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because it's not something that I can just wake up one day and say, you know what? Nate Ward wants to be a better disciple of Jesus. And he's just going to find the strength somewhere inside of himself carnally and make it happen. No, I need the help of the Holy Spirit. He is the one that equips and enables us to be witnesses. He is the one that empowers us to be bold. 
He's the one that enables us to actually do the things that Jesus asks us to do. I love that it said teach them to do the things that I've commanded. Teach them to obey all the things that I command. It's what Jesus says in the Great Commission. How many of you guys know there's a big difference between teaching and telling somebody something? I have told my kids multiple times to do something. But then there's that time where it just clicks. You know, finally, I, I break it down and realize they have no idea what I'm talking about. I have to show them. I have to demonstrate it. I have to lead by example. And I want you to know this as a call to disciple. Your call as a disciple of Jesus is one to lead by example. When we're We don't just have this obligation to tell people the way that they should live. I'm not saying that we just abandon every kind of ounce of morality, but something that I have long said is that we are not the world's moral police. That is not what we're called to, but we are called to demonstrate a better way of life and set it by example. And I believe the best way for us to make disciples is to lead by example, to teach others how to obey the commands of Jesus by actually obeying the commands of Jesus. And that only happens out of a place transformed by the Holy Spirit. We don't get to just, we don't get to earn our way into love of Jesus, uh, right? Because his words tells us that those who love me will do what I've commanded. And so we can take that as, well, I've got to prove my love to Jesus. But we understand because of his love for us and out of our love in return, the natural response will be we do what he asks us to do. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to check out more of our messages, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Just search Open Door Pagosa. Our ministry is made possible by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this morning's message and want to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give and stay connected with everything we are doing as a church.